0: Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you would love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btofer at toferarchitecture.com. Today's guest is Eric Reinhold to talk about his books, Architect and Entrepreneur, Volume One, a Field Guide, and Volume Two, a How To Guide. Eric is the founder of the thirty by forty design workshop. And Eric, thank you very much for being here and talking with me today, and welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, glad to be here chatting with you.
0: Absolutely. So before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, My name is Eric Reinhold. I'm a practicing architect. I live on the coast of Maine, kind of uh, northeast corner of the United States, fairly remote part of the U.S. Um, I've had this business 30 by 40 design workshop since 2013, uh, Came licensed back in 2000. so you know, I have some history um, practicing architecture. I sort of started off uh, working for a pretty commercial firm, large firm, about 150 people. like uh, when I graduated Roger Williams University in 1996, I sort of headed into kind of a mini recession, so I had a hard time finding a job initially. I ended up going for this, you know, started work, working for a pretty large firm and uh, doing institutional, educational, commercial work. Big projects. Um, and it was really pretty far removed from uh, what my initial vision of being an architect was. You know, my initial vision, I grew up in the age of the Brady Bunch. So the father on the Brady Bunch, you, you did too, right, Brian? <laughs> so, you know, the father there was an architect and he designed homes. And that was my vision of what being an architect was. So, you know, this first job out of school was pretty disconnected from that vision that I had. Um, through many years of practicing at various size firms throughout New England. Um, I I ended up uh, moving to Maine following my wife. She took a postdoctoral fellowship at a genetics lab here on Mount Desert Island. Mount Desert Island is... Home to Acadia National Park. So there's, uh, you know, while it's a pretty remote place, it has a ton of tourist traffic uh, settled by the Rockefellers. And, you know, the Rockefellers basically invited all their friends up here when they settled this um, place in the sort of, you know, early 20th century. And, um, they basically donated a bunch of land to the park and it became a huge vacation destination. So a place where people build second, third, fourth homes, a lot of money influx of money here. So as I moved to Maine, I got a real chance to, you know, sort of return to the thing that drew me to architecture in the first place, and that was designing homes. So I ended up working for a firm up here uh, for, you know, 12, 13 years, um, right after I was licensed and just designing homes. And it was a great experience. Uh, But in 2008, you know, the recession was really bottoming out here. And um, the firm that I was working for, they cut all of our pay by 20%. And they kind of gave us an option to seek work out on our own um, you know to supplement that 20% and so it was at that time that I really started laying the foundations for the business I have today 30 by 40 design workshop and uh, you know so I that business has been in operation for about seven years um, and I started that that business and we can get into this maybe when we're talking more about the book but when I started that business I just started off with the standard business model like I was basically doing the same thing that The previous firms that I had worked for was doing, right? Serving clients. Um, Yeah. So,
0: no, that'd be a great point we'll get into. And so, I I do want to start with you know, in your book, you had mentioned that when you went to start your own firm, you came across the same issue that even myself and probably every other firm did that there's a million books about business and sales, but there's two or three about architecture business. And so, you know, I'd like to maybe elaborate a little more on what kind, not only the lack of it, but then. How were you able to take that and write about a guide that many of us have used before we started our own business?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. So as you point out, frustrated by just the information and materials that I was finding out there and, and the things that I was reading really just felt dated. And, um, you know, I you're a member of the AIA, right? Yeah. So AIA has a certain structure to it, a certain rigidity. And um, I feel like they're maybe 10 or 15 years behind the times. And so all the information I was coming across just did not feel relevant at all to my situation. And so as I was sort of making the break from the previous firm that I was working in, I was just consuming every other business resource I could possibly find since really there was nothing in the architecture space. And I think... um, you know, as I looked around for podcasts and information on business, there was a whole wealth of information out there. It just wasn't pointed at architects. So, you know, this is, this is something that, um, is part of my daily practice right now uh, too, uh, where I sort of take in information, say I'm exercising in the middle of the day and I'm taking in information via podcasts or reading things or having Siri read to me. Um, and I'm kind of smashing that information up against all of the things that, I know about my sort of own space. So the practice of architecture. And so by doing that, you know, I read books like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, like seminal. Yeah. Have you read that? I have. Yeah, so seminal text in shaping how I thought about business. You know, I'm listening to Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income and a whole host of other sort of business related podcasts. And so, you know, that information is sort of smashing up against the practice of architecture as I knew it. And I thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so, as I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I'm actually going to start my own business, um, I just started. working with you know one of one of the practices i guess that that i've relied on a lot in this business is you know as i'm trying to figure something out i'm basically doing all the research for that. And as I'm doing the research, I'm documenting that. So Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't know if you uh, are familiar or follow his work. Yeah. He talks about this idea of, you know, document while you create, um, and or document versus create. And so I was documenting while I was creating. So as if I needed to learn about marketing, I was just going to start sort of writing that down and making a catalog list of that. And, uh, as I was trying to market my own firm, I began working with house.com and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of house.com, I have to say, Uh, but they did help me sort of launch the marketing side of my business. So I, I was looking, I was trying all these different things to try and get my firm out there and recognized and known, you know, as you do when you're a young firm. And uh, so I started writing these articles for them. And along the way, you know, I figured, well, I might as well start this series of like how to start your own design business. And so I started writing these posts and the posts became pretty popular. And so they would take those posts and they would send them out to their email list. And I think at the time, their email list was something like 16 million you know, subscribers. And of course, only small sliver of those are going to be architects who, who care about this. But I was writing these articles called Design Practice. And those articles were based on research I was doing at the time to try and figure out how to start my own design practice. So I would sort of research best practices I would write the article. I'd work with the editors there. They would help me sort of improve the writing and do some light editing on it. So I was learning about that. And I was learning about marketing at the same time. And they were shipping it out to their email list. And those sort of articles became the structure and backbone for the first book, uh, Architect and Entrepreneur Volume 1. It wasn't Volume 1 at the time because I was just writing it. But I was was basically like, okay, well, I need to start a business. I need to figure out what my business structure is going to be. And because I'm not finding the relevant information out there, uh, I'm just going to write about it and I'm going to share it with everyone else. And I think that is a practice that continues today in my business. And I used it actually to sort of, there's an evolved model of that, that I used uh, as we get into talking about volume two for how to turn this sort of client services business into, you know, something which, helps to kind of scale my time uh, as opposed to just working one hour and getting paid for one hour. Uh, when we start thinking about services versus products, products, you, you don't have to work any, any hours to create how you create the product. And then once it's created, you can sell it as many times as you like. So, you know, this kind of idea, this ethos of Um, you know, documenting while I'm creating things and then sharing it out there to be consumed by a larger audience has sort of, you know, pervaded the entire practice. So that's kind of how the book came into being. The volume two of the book was really just, you know, as I go back and look at volume one today, because my business is now, I'm seven years into it, it feels like, um, you know, um, a beginning exercise. And I look back at that book and I think, wow, it's, I, I've come so far from that. And so as we look at volume two, volume two is really the next steps. Like once you get the business up and functioning and you're thinking about how to design a business, you know, an entrepreneurial practice, here's how to really turn it into a well-oiled machine and really take those concepts and take them further uh, so that you can do more um, and, and you can make better, better use of your time. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, and, that, and you've touched on quite a few of the big points. We'll go into a little more. You know, you even though Volume One you had mentioned was a little more of the traditional how to start a firm, a service firm, you still get into the passive income. Sure. And you and you had mentioned that a lot of the material is dated, whether it's AIA or NCarb. And you know, I, I'm an NCarb licensing advisor, and so they have had a shift to try to include more business and practice management in the exam.
1: Sure. Yeah. And
0: at, at first, that seems very exciting, but the sad reality, as you said, it's very focused on the service professional maximizing billable hours which yeah. you've gone into detail has its own flaws and it's not going to be as relevant as it was a few decades ago and so you know you had talked about passive income and that is you know it's very clear in your videos and everything you write that it's a big part and and yet i guess you know passive income is not in any way a new or novel concept but in my own opinion architecture seems to be one of the least up to date in that field True, And I believe you have talked about it. You know, you had mentioned just the, when you mentioned plan sets, most architects will instantly go into a very negative reaction. <laughs> and whereas in your book, in my opinion, you you do actually, I was sold. I, I had that same reaction, but I was sold on the idea that, you know, a writer doesn't get paid once for their book. Why are architects only getting paid once for the amount of research we do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, and it doesn't just apply to plan sets. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, it's interesting because the idea of plants—it's—it's—it um, is really a lightning rod issue with with other architects. I hear I get a lot of blowback and still get blowback on that. And um, you know, my—if you go and look at my website today, I don't openly sell plan sets. Uh, it's not easy to find the plan sets. I still sell them, but uh, I I don't make a practice of it, but I still believe in the value of them. And, and if I didn't, I would definitely remove it from the books because one of the things about the plan set is – there, there's a giant market built around this. I mean, you know this, I know this, other architects know it. And uh, wh- how do you walk away from that if you are a new business owner and you are actually looking for ways to uh, remove this, you know, disconnect this relationship between time worked and fee earned. And I mean, the plan sets were a, a great business model for me. I I moved away from them for a very particular reason. But if you're just starting a business... Um, man, I, I think they're a really fantastic way to go. And there's a there's clearly a need in the market for them. Um, so if someone has this kind of visceral reaction, uh, opposition to them, I'd really encourage them to, to dig deeper into that and really try and understand why. What is the opposition? Because there's a need for good design in the marketplace and people are buying bad design. There's a lot of bad design out there. and And this is an opportunity for us. And I'm actually really surprised that, you know, groups like the AIA haven't really pivoted into this space before. Um, I mean, I think residential architects probably under, sorry to cut you off, Brian. I, yeah. But, you know, um, this is, residential architects are a small sliver of the constituency of the AIA. And so that's probably one reason. But um, for sole practitioners, you know, like myself, uh, I actually don't know if you, are, are you a sole practitioner too, Brian? Or do you I have am. a team? Okay. Yeah.
0: No, no, uh, it is one man show.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, if, if I look around at all my friends that we're all doing this, you know, we're all sole practitioners, you know, there's a need for us. Absolutely.
0: And you, you, you kind of mentioned there's bad design out there, you know, as a sole practitioner who may, and we'll talk about it, who hasn't had, hasn't gone through the full gamut of qualifying leads. I, many clients do show me a plan set that is incorrect. It was done by someone who shouldn't be doing it. And even though I know they don't do business with me, I know they walk away and it's still going to happen.
1: So yeah, to kind
0: yeah. of reinforce that point, it isn't going to, by disagreeing with plan sets, it isn't going to stop it. So we should probably inject our expertise into it.
1: Yeah. It doesn't solve the problem. And, and even if it's, um, you know, informing the client, uh, I mean, I just got an email from someone the other day who hired an architect and they had this really awful experience. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, we <laughs> have it, we have a chance to. Inform the process, make it a better process, make it a more ideal process. Just you know, as we may have learned in school or from other mentors that that we've worked for in the past. And I really see it as my obligation to pass on these best practices to other people. And you know, so if it's not a plan set, maybe it's you know making buildings more efficient. I mean, there's a there's an entire uh, sphere of design that that is sort of untapped by architects in lending our expertise to just basic design that, we, you know, we can help people out with siting buildings or, you know, making the wall systems more energy efficient. And, and there's just so many opportunities here. I, it makes me really excited to see it because, you know, one of the things about writing these books is it, it forced me to really look inwards, um, and really reflect on the, the practices of the profession and, and try and understand. Um, that there's there's this sort of multiplicity of interests and uh devotions in our practice that that they lay untapped you know like the fact that there's just this one practice model that's pushed forward to everybody is completely ridiculous I mean no what other field has just one practice mo- my wife's a scientist like there's so many practice models for scientists out there why is it that you know we push something forward that's passive income or it's a developer model or something else that why is that so offensive to people? Like we should, we should have embraced this as designers, right? There's design possibilities here.
0: And you even touched upon and we'll elaborate a little more. You had mentioned, it's not that you're trying to even reinvent the wheel. As you said, any practicing architect, every project has to do a multitude of research and analysis, right. but sadly it then goes into when their project's done, it goes into a drawer. It stays in our head. Yeah. Whereas why, and you know, you had mentioned you started gathering and sharing it, and people responded. And it's no coincidence that there's just a lack of that sharing. So, of course, there really is a need for that.
1: Yeah, there is. And you know, I mean, it's it's the same way today, Brian, as it was seven years ago when I started doing it. You know, if I, I mean, YouTube is kind of a case in point, right? Go search YouTube for some some topic. You're gonna find. A lot of information that's just done by amateurs. Like, why aren't we filling in this space with our expertise? I mean, I realize um, overworked, underpaid, lack of time, all those reasons. Um, but it's it's kind of, for me, that ended up being the real interesting design challenge in that, you know, as I wrote the, the first book, um, you know, if I look back on that and I start overlaying the history of my practice on on the evolution of that book. Um, I think I really did start making this traditional practice, even though I was advocating like, okay, I'm running all these experiments. I'm trying all these things. And I was, but also I was the guy at on day one that I was like, I'm going to take every project that comes my way. Cause I'm scared that I'm not going to, you know, pay, be able to pay my mortgage. I mean, I think we all face that. And and part of the beauty of this sort of volume two, complementing volume one of this book is that I really figured out a way to make the two uh, sides of my business, the the service side and the product side, act symbiotically so that I could still work with clients because I want to work with clients. I mean, I think practicing architecture, there's this dance that you do with the client and the builder and the architect and wh- whatever other services you're involving this, right? And like, if you're doing large scale commercial work, it's a whole huge set of entities, you know, it's governments and, you know, building committees, whatever. And, you know, that dance, I think is a real interesting part of making architecture and it's the reality of making architecture. So I'd never want to give that up. But you know, as I was first practicing in my business here in 2013, right? Rewind to day one, I took every single project I could. And what that meant was, you know, I had like five projects going on at once at one point. And, and that's five clients and five contractors and budgets and all the things that come along with doing those things. And that's not sustainable for it wasn't sustainable for me. Uh, I mean, for you as a sole practitioner, could, you know, you know what that's like, right? Having this giant weight of, of, you know, projects hanging above you and that leaves no time to do anything else. It d- leaves you no time to share that information with anybody. So, you know, really the idea of the conceptual underpinning of these books is to try and solve that problem that you don't have time. You know, I want to try and make make time for the things that matter to you to the things that brought you to the profession you know as as a creative person i mean i i got into this because i love drawing i loved model making i i loved all the you know the beauty of architecture and and going to school i learned that there was just this whole set of information that i Actually didn't even realize was a part of architecture, you know, materiality and tectonics and construction. I mean, obviously construction, but I, I knew nothing right. about construction when oh, I was <laughs> you know, doing technical drawings as a kid, right? Um, but all these things somehow the joy of that is wrung out when you're trying to serve five different clients and five different contractors and RFPs and RF you know, RFQs, whatever. It's like it's too much.
0: Ab- absolutely. <laughs> and you know, I'll admit I actually revisited your books. A ways in when I started my own, <laughs> you know, I, I actually read your books before I started, and I, I I don't usually put my own personal anecdote in, but you know, I think I made the same mistake, and I'm sure everyone does, and maybe and I think you kind of hinted at it, you know, I joined House, I joined Home Advisor, I put money into that, sure. I was meeting five to fifteen people a week, wow. and I made that mistake of conf- con- confusing activity with productiveness, yeah. And so, like you said, you know, all of a sudden you feel burnout and you look back and you realize, you know, most of those meetings went nowhere. People were kicking the tires. Any project that did come out was not, as you have said, successful and aligned with the brand you want. Right. And so you have that moment. I've had I had my moment of fear when I dropped all that because then my amount of meetings dropped significantly. But as you've mentioned, it's not about the quantity. It's about, you know, if you get that one good client, that's better than 10 bad clients.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I look at the you know if you look at my architectural portfolio when i started the business and w- what it is now it's like it's like very similar because you know i have a couple of nice projects there but like i i also did a lot of projects that weren't what i wanted to put out there and i think you know i i had this real fear when i first started the business i thought um uh, you know my my portfolio isn't being updated every 3 months and and i ha- i put these unrealistic expectations not only on the timeline for Secu- securing a project and constructing it and documenting it, all those things. You know, I thought, man, someone's going to come to my website and they're going to see this project that's, you know, five years old and they're going to, what are they going to think of me? No one cares. <laughs> no one cares about that. You know, you know, this ha- be, as a practitioner, um, that the client comes to you wanting a solution to their problem. That's all they care about. And so they look at their portfolio and they have to be able to see their project in your portfolio. And if you've solved that, they don't care. They're not looking at my degree. They're not looking at, you know, when the project was published or whether it was published. I mean, some, some people are sure. Cause that's the, that's the story they want to tell people, but you know, the real good clients that I found, they don't do that. You know, they they want to see if you can solve their problem. And so I, I think it's real interesting. Um, you know, if I, if I did another edit to that first volume of the book, which is definitely in the plans, um, I would add that perspective to it that, you know, to, to kind of give yourself the space and the room to be okay with, um, making some white space in, in your life there. You know, don't, I mean, I really do advocate for, uh, not accepting, you know, saying no a lot. And I think I say this in in the book, um, but man, you know, this, that's really hard to do when. You only have one project or, you know, maybe you got a project that's coming to an end and you're like, Whoa, there's nothing on the horizon. That's really scary. Um, and I think, if you if you really do follow the methodology in the book and you start doubling down on making content and really running experiments and trying different things you will discover that medium that that happy medium between you know creativity and just enough content out there and just enough sort of creative white space in your life and and it it takes a while i mean you have to you have to suffer through some stuff to get there but man i i love that about this kind of creative life that I've designed for myself because, you know, designing, making, building architecture, it's it's not a, it's not a quick turnaround thing. I mean, it doesn't happen in like a month or two unless you're really doing hardcore production work. But I'm not doing that. Um, you know, and so I think I need those things in my life to really satisfy that that creative itch that I have, you know, the need to sketch things. I mean, and I, I find it interesting that as architects, we're, we're creative people, right? Um, but we have to apply that same creativity to our businesses uh, that we do to our clients' work and our, our other projects. And, you know, that may even extend to doing sort of speculative work. I mean, I think that's, you know, as we talk about passive income and, you know, I mean, the the, the true definition of passive income by the by the government's standards is like a rental unit, right? I mean, yeah, talk about building. That's a wealth building machine. I mean, that's that's a really interesting business model. I, I don't know uh, what what real estate is doing in your area, but around here during the pandemic, it's it's absolutely off the charts. I mean, the amount of work, the amount of influx of new people buying p- property. I mean, the, the opportunities are huge right now.
0: It, it is probably the greatest real estate market Rochester's ever seen.
1: Yeah. That's a awesome. situation.
0: Yeah. And so you actually, you had mentioned, and this is, I think, a perfect segue. We've talked about both books. we kind of been in the first one, moving into the second one. You had mentioned the word experiment. And, you know, it is all of this is intimidating. But I, and, you know, you actually, and I, you have the quote from Zig Zagler. But the reality is, until you start or do this, you'll get nowhere. And so, as intimidating as it is, you do more than once mention that you're going to get nowhere until you go and do this. And, you know, kind of like a concept that's out there, the idea of failing forward, you know, you're not going to get it on your, you know, and you had mentioned, and now I'd like to talk a little bit more passive income, because the reality is time, You and you've said this in your videos, your book, time is your most valuable resource. And so if you get stuck in that traditional model of constantly chasing work, trying to maximize your 40 billable hours, which is impossible, you'll burn yourself out and you won't be successful because you, you yourself will become a slave to the business. And you, so you, you do it, you have a great methodology for passive income, but there is the realistic expectation that it takes time. And you, you've at no point ever shielded the fact that it took incremental growth and a lot of trial and error. You know, you actually have a very good story about your first success was that nine cent commission (laughs) you made on a video. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I had, I I actually, I didn't, it wasn't nine cent. I had a very exact same story when I told it to my wife. (laughs) And so, you know, I'd like, we were talking a little more about the first book. But so the idea, you know, I think a lot of people get stuck in following, you know, some of the more successful podcasts and you've mentioned, you know, they live off their passive income and they're super wealthy. Whereas you talk about the success of passive income is the fact that it, even if it doesn't fully take over, it can provide you more time, more freedom. You yeah. can say no to someone just because that someone isn't literally what's going to keep your lights on. You have the supplemental sources of income.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and I think the best you know, the best way to approach this is really to think about the things that you enjoy doing, you know, the, the things in your space, you know, so whenever you make, turn something into a job and you feel like it's an obligation, I feel obligated to write I mean, you've, you've written a book, right. Or a, a couple of books. Right. So, um, and I don't know how that process was for you, but for me, um, it was a lot of work, but I learned so much doing it. And, and I really was pretty excited to sit down in the mornings and write, and then ultimately edit and then take, you know, learn how to record an audiobook. And I mean, you're doing a podcast now. It's like all these things that feed our creative interests. If we can somehow smash that up against, you know, what it is we do for a profession, a career, like that's when it gets really interesting. Um, so I have a number of Courses that I've created um, with within the past you know year, and that has been a really fascinating thing because you get to learn about you know the process of ed- education pedagogy, and you know h- how people learn and how you teach them, and also there's this whole series of downloadable content that goes along with it. So it's about graphic design. It's about, you know, thinking about how a product maybe gets delivered. I made a couple of physical products in the past year. And like, so there's a whole packaging effort and a marketing effort that goes along with that. And so, you know, for me, it I, I really start to think about the life of Charles and Ray Ames and how they really took this idea of, you know, they took a problem and they turned the process of you know not knowing to knowing into their life's work. And to me, that's just so beautiful. That's so poetic. I love that idea. And really, I was searching for a way to do that with my own practice. And I love designing homes with people. I, I really, really enjoy that process of connecting with people on a very personal level and being able to give them something that they can't Articulate themselves. I think that's a really wonderful process. And when you find the right combination of client and builder and architect and all the people who help you build the building, it's a really wonderful thing. And so to be able to share that in a way that helps other people see that same possibility, I think that's something that almost every architect could do. I mean, you know, your design process, your branded design process, if you think about it that way, as we talk about in the book. Um, you know, that's unique to you. So, you know, the course that I make about how I do, what I do is invariably going to be different than the course that you make about the things that you do. And I find that really interesting and, and just create, you know, documenting the creative process and making something that's a beautiful object out of that, whether that's a video or a course or some downloadable thing or whatever you choose, um, if you can use those sort of byproducts of the design process that you're doing anyway, uh, as, as a means to support your family, uh, like that's to me, there's nothing better. I mean, that's, that's the ideal that, you know, we're all striving for in a lot of ways. It's not, it's not to, uh, have a fight with a contractor on site or be answering emails at 11 PM or, you know, whatever the thing you most dread about your practice right now. Like, I think it's interesting to, to really look, um, you know, reflect on those parts of, of practice that are, that feel like drudgery and find a way to design your way out of that problem. Like because there is a solution to it. And and for me, passive income was that solution. And it also I, I think, you know, it's like that sort of idea of a flywheel where yes, it takes a ton of effort up front, as you know, writing a book. Like no one's no one probably gave you a big advance to write a book. I'm guessing. Uh, no. <laughs> Okay. Right. So you put all the work in up front, and then you read the words on the backside or you under, or you learn that, okay, maybe this isn't the book that I should have written, or maybe I should have done, you know, my spell check better. I remember the first book I released was on, it was actually on house.com and you know, I released it day one. I got a review. I was like, oh wow, I have a review on this book already. (laughs) And the review was this scathing, like, I can definitely tell this is a self-published book. The editing oh, is, is horrible. Right? So, you know, I was like Uh-oh. all this, I was like, oh no, somebody. <laughs> this is awful. So you end up learning, you know, this mm-hmm. idea of experimentation, you know, you put it out there and you see what happens and you learn. And for me, you know, this has been a constant process of that, you know, every time I release a video. Uh man, there's a lot of learning that happens. Not only just I, I, internally, but extra. You know, the the comments on YouTube are. It's really. It's not easy. You know, <laughs> they'll tell you straight up if you got it wrong yeah. or you got it right. You know.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned you know putting in the sweat equity, and it's a lot of upfront. It is a lot of upfront, but you know. As you said, it does, I can speak personally, scratching that creative itch, you know, when I did mine, it did not, the time slipped away and it's all I talked about. I'm sure my wife got annoyed. (laughs) So yeah, it's work. But as you said, as I'm sure we can all tell hearing you, it's something you enjoy doing. It's not something you're forcing.
1: For sure, yeah. So you got to find those things, yeah. And again,
0: as you said, every architect can definitely find some avenue that they would love to add content to, I would think.
1: And it's also about, you know, for me, I think as, as we talk about this business model, right, where mm-hmm. you're working with fewer clients and you're using your sort of passive income side of the business to support the right. idea that you're sacrificing some fees there. Well, let me, ta- let me ask you just this question, because how, how have your, how have writing your books, like, has that been a good thing for you? Have you learned something Absolutely. from that? A good experiment, bad experiment? What's- what? How was it?
0: Yeah. So to go off of what you said, so number one, you you said it, and I didn't have to repeat, you know, what you learned as soon as I finished the first one, you can even ask my wife the next day. I was like, I want to do it again. I know 10 different <laughs> things. And I, I'm guessing looking at the timeline of yours, I think you went through the same epiphany.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah. It's, and so as soon as I finished the first one, I was like, okay, I want to do it again. And then even I'll be honest on the second one, same thing. So yeah, not only did you learn a lot, you know, you had mentioned, and I think it's there's a lot of data out there that you know, if you write it for the right reasons, it will be successful. If you sure. write it to live off it as a nonfiction writer, you'll be disappointed.
1: Sure, yeah, but the reality, think, yeah.
0: But you know, the reality, and you, I think you even call it your heavier business card, giving it to a client, even if there is on the border, it is, it, it seems to be successful. It
1: seems sure. to help a lot. Yeah, oh, I mean, I was, I think I, I'm back on my train of thought here. So, okay. <laughs> pardon me. I really, I really apologize. Um, oh, not at all. You know this this idea of when, when you're limiting the number of clients that you're able to take and you're supplementing that income with your, the product side of the business, um, you know, you're, you're sort of trading this portfolio of work. Like if I'm only able to work with one client every year, you know, that's, that's, I'm not going to have very many projects in my portfolio, but you trade that for one of impact and, you know, writing, writing a book, uh, as you know, books live on forever, right? And that is, for me, I found some real strength in the idea that I can take my ideas and codify them, not only in a book, but also in videos and courses and all these other things that are also supporting my creative practice. And for me, that you know, that legacy of impact is—I don't know if it's just my age or what—but you know, it makes trading the portfolio which i think a lot of people you know they'll get into this field and 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 you know because they want to design big buildings they want to be they want to be zaha or they want to be tadao ando right and like i saw some of that and i had the the fire in my eyes for that stuff too but you pretty quickly learn that there's not one person who's in, whose name is on that building. Yeah, their name may be on the wall of the on the door, but it's not one person who's responsible for that. I had a friend uh, who works in New York City, and like he was responsible for just the curtain wall details on the Freedom Tower. Like that's it. Like one thing, like you can look up there and say, yeah, that was me. I was, I was working on floors, you know, 48 to 60 or whatever. And, you know, when you have that realization, um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing because you don't really fully understand that getting into the profession, but
0: <laughs> I, I would, I would love to play that clip, you know, for my students, it's, it's great, but there is often, you know, and they haven't worked, so they don't understand it yet. Yeah you know at same point you know, one of my greatest moments was when I was walking in a building and I pointed at five details that no one in the world would ever care about but those <laughs> were my five details Yeah that's just you know Sort of that shift between the academic setting versus practicing sure. in the real world.
1: Yeah. So you put that in your portfolio, right? Toilet- absolutely. Toilet details. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly.
0: There you go. <laughs> how the window meets this curved bridge, right?
1: <laughs> and is and, that uh, is that enough for you? Like is that create because that's ab- how absolutely. What, what, when I when I went to to work right out of school for this giant firm, man, I had all these great visions of what I was gonna be doing. And I was literally just doing measuring existing schools and doing right. toilet plans and it's <laughs> yeah. like oh no i mm-hmm. it can't continue like this <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know yeah exactly and i i was thrown more into the construction side which is a whole okay. design creative exercise that many aren't aware of either oh so, yeah as you mentioned architecture and my obviously we're biased, but it's more ma- multifaceted than most professions.
1: Sure, yeah, Oh, there's a lot of different places to to slot in, man. Construction, I I hope that's changed since I was in school. Construction was pretty underrepresented in the educational process. I would I would
0: say it's improved, but it's not there yet. Okay, yeah, someday maybe. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, and I kind of wanted to piggyback. You had mentioned books. You know, the idea of legacy. You know, my own personal bias is of all the fields that require research, architecture is up there, and yet. I've talked to some very smart, interesting people in here, but a very small number of them are architects. And it's hard not to wonder why are architects not writing about their field? Why is it yeah. quote unquote people outside the field who have to write about architecture? Yeah. And so my own personal call to action, you know, more architects, they have plenty to say, you know, they should get it out there.
1: It's always a it's always a time thing. I mean, I, I <laughs> yes. found I found writing a book to be a time commitment far exceeding like making videos and you know, all the stuff that is taking up a lot of my time these days uh, I um, and maybe if I went back to do another one it would go more quickly but yeah, it feels there there's a finality to writing a book I guess that uh, makes it take more time and I think you know architects in general feel particularly pressed for time um, I mean did I you, agree. yeah you wrote one because you wanted to just give it a try or what was the you had information to share yeah
0: I had always wanted to and as you had mentioned you, you start documenting, I, I was having the same conversation with clients because at least in Rochester, on the residential side, there isn't as much architectural presence. It is more contractor heavy. And I understand sure. that. Yeah. So I've had, I've had many clients who kind of just weren't aware of what architects are, what they do. Yeah. And so I had been documenting it and you know, there was still a lot of work, but I had a pretty big outline before I even started. And so I said, man, it'd be great to hand this to clients.
1: For sure. Yeah. Do you and have I, an audio book version of it?
0: I have not gotten to that point, no.
1: Man, you're well suited for it.
0: And I, oh, thank you. And I know your book would. Uh, I read your book, and you made a very clear case that that is a market to not, not tap into. So,
1: I mean, if you have if you have the equipment, and uh, you know, it's a time arbitrage thing. You know, people are busy. Absolutely. They're they're running around. I, they're you well, know, why not?
0: I commute an hour and a half to the school I teach at. I have oh. been reading audiobooks, so I have no idea what my excuse is.
1: But. Oh wow, that's a long commute, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's worth it. And yeah. catch up on audiobooks and podcasts.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and so, you, and then you, you know, I had been, I, I, I started and stopped multiple times. I'm kind of a hypocrite in that sense. I guess you can call it a silver lining. We had a sh- a shutdown of the world that I had no more excuses not to finish.
1: Sure, yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Hey, I'm glad you used it as an opportunity, right? It, you know, there yeah.
0: was no, there was never going to be a better time. Like you said, even <laughs> when you kind of find your success of balancing your time with qualifying leaders, you can quickly become, you know, inundated with. And I know you get more emails, phone calls than most of us, and I'm sure you can. That becomes time consuming.
1: <laughs> it's its own job. Yeah. I Absolutely. farm it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's one thing. So we, we focused on books a lot. Cause you know, that's, I, that's something I did, but one thing I think a lot of people are interested in, and it's not exactly new, but I think it's very untapped is the idea of courses. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned it and I, I I've seen what you had, you know, I would, could you care to elaborate a little more? I'm going to take us, I'm going to take an educated guess that there is a difference between coursing versus videos and books you know, in terms of process. Effort. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of effort, it was pretty, it was a pretty monumental uh, thing. And I had wanted to do, you know, like you, I'd wanted to do this for a long time. And at some point, I thought, I'm either just going to do this or I'm going to be done with it. And actually, I talked to a, a professional course company uh, out in Los Angeles uh, we had been talking because of my YouTube channel and they said hey you know this is kind of ripe for a course and we ran a survey on the YouTube channel and I got immense feedback like I, I got really great feedback on what people wanted to learn about and we kind of went through those and just dis- decided okay here's here's what sort of topic it would be around and who the audience would be and that kind of thing and some revenue projections. And I, you know, the revenue projections, I was just kind of like, mm, yeah, right. You know, I thought they said, it's, uh, easily, easy to do a million bucks. Um, you know, and there's a fee obviously for working with this company. Um, and so I started looking and I was like, you know, um, we started talking like, what am I responsible for? So I'm responsible for writing all the content and all the lectures. I was responsible for recording the videos and creating. So I was like, well, I might as well do it. Like I, I don't need to pay them a fee to do it. And the, the revenue projections, um, you know, and it may just be a factor of where we are in terms of everyone's lockdown and everyone is looking for information to learn and things are changing in the schools, but the revenue projections are, um, really interesting. I'll just say that, um, it not disappointing at all. It's been life changing for me creating courses and, um, I'm nobody, I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm like anyone else, you know, (laughs) I didn't go to a special school. I didn't go to Harvard. Um, I just executed on my ideas. And I think that, you know, if there's a takeaway from these books, I hope that it's that, you know, Derek Sivers, I love Derek Sivers. And if, if you listen to podcasts at all, you should listen to his podcast. Um, But he says ideas are just a multiplier of execution. So it's fine to have a great idea, but with zero execution, you got a big zero, you know, a mediocre idea, uh, you know, 10 execution is, you know, huge. It can be huge. And so I'm, I want to empower people to understand that I am just like them. I am nobody. I never I wasn't trained to make videos or courses or any of this stuff. I just was able to execute on a need in the market and I was able to make that happen. And so courses I think are just a fantastic opportunity especially now. Learning is changing, you know, the way people are learning, uh, it's becoming more democratized, access to information, uh, you know, go, go look on YouTube. You'll, you'll find all kinds of information out there. And some of it's really bad and some of it's pretty good. And so I thought the information I had was pretty decent. And so I just found a way to package it up and make it, you know, a nice, interesting, fun thing for people to take. And I tried to price it in a way that it would be the same or a little bit less than going to a conference. Um, I don't know how many conferences you go to, uh, do you go to any?
0: Before I was self-employed, I went to many. Yeah. Okay. I, I've, I've I've been more strategic since I went off sure. on my
1: own. No, that and that makes sense. <laughs> and and I have too. Um, because before the office was paying for it, and now I'm paying for it. Um, exactly. And you, and you have to question like, well, what do you get out of it? And so I really <laughs> I tried to position it in the market, thinking about it like that. Like if someone's thinking about spending X dollars traveling to a, mm-hmm. a, a location and spending on lodging and food and you know time away from the office, like this. I'm tr- I tried to make the course a no brainer. Um, and well, I know, think, you met- sorry,
0: you had mentioned it, I I, you had mentioned there's no better time. You know, I, I, the stats are out there between YouTube and masterclass subscriptions. People oh, yeah. are at home watching stuff right now. I mean,
1: yeah. And I, uh, you know, I think, um, it also doesn't have to be the, the major high production value thing that I made it (laughs) necessarily, but I did that because it interests me and I like doing that. And I have the gear and it's like part of the whole creative process is doing that. But there's, I mean, YouTube is called YouTube for a reason. It's about you. And so I hope that people feel empowered by this trend that I'm seeing in YouTube to go more informal, you know, holding a camera or your iPhone or whatever you have and giving good information is really good. You just have to Actually, get the audio right. The audio in in video is the most important thing. You know, it's uh, it, it becomes unwatchable if you don't get the audio right. But you know, just thinking through and sharing your own personal design process as a course. I have so many people asking for courses uh, that I'm not going to have time to make, <laughs> and a lot of them are around like very similar content to to like your book, like um, which is don't hire a general contractor right to to, to design your house. You know. Um, it, show them the way because as you found out there's there's a need in the market uh for for people who, they want good design they want to work with architects they also they they don't have a full understanding of what it takes to work with an architect so there's a subset of people like you and I I can't work with the kind of client that I myself would actually be you know if Is I wanted right? <laughs> to build a $400,000 house I'm probably not going to pay an architect a 20% fee to do that like it's just not that's not my headspace, you know? And, um, and so I feel like courses can fill that kind of a need. Um, and you know, it's up to people, other people to make it, but now like if you're sitting at home and you're trying to figure out how you're going to pivot your business model, because you're, you're out of clients like that, that's one way. I mean, I get 10 to 15 emails every single week about people wanting to do projects and wanting, you know, like, it, it spans, it runs the gamut. Um, and I'm just one guy, you know, there's a whole lot of architects out there that can serve these people. I wish there was a way that, um, I could connect those, those two, absolutely. Two things, you, know, you know,
0: and you, there's plenty of takeaways. You had said empowerment and the democratization, you know, I think most people, when they go to start, whether it's like you said, make a course or even a book, you know, you pitch to a company, they very condescendingly reject you or you get a fee <laughs> from a company. It's expensive you know, the work you do is very high quality and it is you doing it. And so, you know, I know you mentioned this in the book and I I hope people take that away. You know, you can, there has never been a better time to create this content, you know, and at a good quality. Yeah. I, I, I personally, I don't look at the back to see who the publisher is those days. It's not, as you (laughs) said, those days are kind of over. It's about the book, not who put it out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and, and owning owning, you know, owning your IP. And, you know, I mean, Perhaps, yeah. it's, I, I love that people can self, I mean, I love that you've published a couple of books. I presume you've published them yourself, right?
0: I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. I, so- I that was a personal anecdote. I was condescendingly kind of suddenly, uh, talked to by quite a few people. So I took yeah, your advice and went for it. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> that, I mean, it's ridiculous.
1: Right? Come on. The, like, the, the whole publishing model is completely ridiculous. I, I
0: agree. <laughs> probably probably the only one more updated than architecture is the publishing world. It but. is,
1: yeah. And, and, and uh, they're getting left behind. And, and, you know, even when we start talking about courses, if you look at the Skillshare's or the Udemy's of the world, like, that's, you know, that's even a different thing. Like, they can take your IP and your information and discount. Like, if it's a $100 course, they'll sell it for three you know, and, and, and you've made what 30% on that. That's ridiculous. So, you know, I think that self polishing model applies to all these things, all these concepts that we're talking about, um, you know, from designing floor plan sets all the way to, you know, your intellectual property, the information that you're sharing with people own the platform, you know, just like you're, you're not going to give your platform over to house and let that be your website. You know, you, you need your own website. You need your own real estate Piece of real estate online, and you know the same thing for courses. Like I work with Teachable uh, because I own all the content, I set the pricing. You know, I pay a subscription fee for access to that, but you know, in the self-publishing thing, like when I, when I heard from the publisher, um, about, oh, they said, oh, you saw your books, you know, we'd we'd like you to work with you to write some more and, you know, here's what we're thinking. And, and, um, so we started talking about the details. There's no advance there. Right. And, and even if there was, there'd be an earn out. So, you know, I I mean, a ridiculous, you know, earn out, like one of the perks that they dangled in front of me was, well, you get the books at like 20% off. You gotta be kidding me. Versus (laughs) Thank versus you <laughs> uh, 250
0: on amazon you
1: know <laughs> <laughs> right exactly but you know in the end i was responsible for sourcing all the images and i had to get all the co- like it was like an image heavy book and they're like well yeah you're gonna have to source all the images and pay for all the you know the copyright fees and i was like what like this is like a this is way in the red right now and we ha- haven't even started the book like it's ridiculous why w- why would i work with you what's what do you offer me um and i think you know, you ask that question with everything we've been talking about, and I think you come back to this idea that you know the self-publishing model has a lot of value. Owning this information and in IP is just really valuable.
0: Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to watch your videos, view the website. You know, I, I've, I've hinted at this before. Before I went off on my, you know, my own, I read your books, I looked at your videos. So
1: thanks, man. Yeah, you I know- appreciate that.
0: And so before we kind of go towards the end here, there was one act, you know, and one thing that's great about the books, a lot of books are very big and theoretical. There's an action item everywhere in the book. And I, and <laughs> yeah. I personally found that helpful. As oh, an great. Architect. Yeah. You know, the one that really stuck down, and I, I would, you know, like you a little bit more to explain, you know, the, you have you start with, you know, earn a hundred dollars regarding passive income. You know, I know you go into it in detail in the book, I was wondering if you could kind of give us a snippet of that action plan, what you're thinking there.
1: Yeah. Well, the, you know, the earning a hundred dollars is just the, you know, proxy for proving to yourself that you can do this. It's not the dollar amount that really matters at all. It's just the idea that, you know, focused action over a period of time can actually, you know, net results. And, just the idea of earning a little bit of money on your own. I mean, stepping out into soul practice, I, you know, the first client that I got and that first dollar, it's like, it's really empowering. And so that's really how I modeled this. And just to try and make it a little chunk that could uh, give you encouragement that this is really possible. Um, and I don't think. If you start earning hundred dollars um, through the sort of checklist that I, that I offer in the book that it would stop there um, necessarily because, you know, the process of learning to earn means that you've defined a market, uh, you've defined a need in the market and you've figured out a way to, you know, bridge that need with something that you create. And, and that process, you know, for an architect serving clients is, you know, a building in the end and a design in the end. And, um, for your passive income side of the business, this sort of product, this small product that you're developing, it can be anything. Um, but it teaches you how to, to reach those people and get them to vote with their wallet. And that is, you know, the key to success in, in any kind of business. And I think, you know, one of the Interesting things about you know looking back on writing these books and and the time that I've had the business is just to to look back and see how I couldn't have charted where this business is today you know I couldn't have mapped those things out but what I did was try and put a, in place a set of operating principles uh, about experimentation and failing and you know learning to take. The sources that we create as architects and turn them into resources. Um, that is the thing that is the connective thread and tissue from day one till today. And that's the thing that keeps me interested and in coming back to the studio every day. And so, you know, as you said, everybody takes different things away from the book. And, you know, I think having those action items in there or a step-by-step checklist on how to go about creating a product that earns $100. Um, For me, when I was stepping into the ether, the unknown of starting my own business, that's what I needed. And it it just broke down the process in a way that made it feel uh, attainable. And all of this is attainable. If I can do it as a nobody, (laughs) nobody architect, anyone can do it. And I uh, I do hope that the message of the books is, that ultimately resonates with people is that idea.
0: Uh, I know it resonated with me. I, I also hope it gets with others. Awesome. I, I, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: For sure. Uh, the yeah. books
0: are Architect and Entrepreneur, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, we are here with Eric Reinhold. Uh, thank you for speaking with me. And for those listening, thank you and have a great day.